Hey guys, this is Rich Bokini. You might remember me as Kevin Owens punching bag on SmackDown. You're listening to the whole Rough and Show, the only podcast that calls it right down the middle. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole Rough and Show. Hello everyone, welcome to yet another exciting episode of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin' Show. My name is Perry Smith. My name is Darren Beasley. And we both want to welcome you to episode 113. Lucky 113, Darren. That's what I always say, lucky number 113. A lot to cover on this episode. Uh, This one coming out to you guys a little bit late. We do apologize for that. We are transitioning our show, I had to go back to the West Coast. I'm now back in Los Angeles right now. Darren's still trapped on the East Coast, holding it down, the dirty South, as they call it. A lot going on, a lot going on in the world. Uh, 2019, I still can't believe it's the year 2019, Darren. It feels like we should have flying cars and everything should be made of laser beams. Well, we were promised flying cars and... they were Clearly, we were lied to. And in only one more year... Um, the whole, our entire reality will be a late night, uh, news serial with Ted Koppel and Barbara Walters. And, you know, that'll just be weird. And does anybody else out there remember 2020? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on the references, uh, much like, uh, that we feel like we're, we should be in the time of the Jetsons, you know, suitcases that turn into flying cars and all, but... My question is, Darren, I, I will accept the fact that a suitcase can turn into a car and vice versa, but how can George Jetson lift the suitcase? Oh, uh, that, that's very good. That, to me, is the flaw of the Jetsons. <laughs> well, I, I, they probably use some Reed Richards explanation of, like, uh, what was the... Un- Unstable molecules. molecules. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to know how... Human torches, clothes can burn, or, or rather not burn, and uh, Mr. Fantastic can stretch <laughs> without stretching out the fabric of his costume. Unstable hey, hey, molecules. Hey, hey, Perry, Perry. Yeah. Uh, could you please, I, I'm begging you, uh, only once a year, and here we are at the beginning, so I'm already I'm blowing my wad here, if you will. Um, can, can I can I ask you to tell your your Norm Macdonald fantastic uh, <laughs> oh, no. four joke, please? Oh no, man! I'll, I'll, I'll kill it. It won't be as good. Um, basically, it's, it's Mister Fantastic when he he decides uh, that they should all have names when they all have their superpowers. And so Norm Macdonald is Mister Fantastic, and he's like, "All right, all right. So we need names, right? All right. Now Sue, Sue Storm, you can turn invisible, right? And you're a girl, so you'll be the invisible girl." All right, now, Hugh, like, Johnny, Johnny, like, you're this big human torch, right? You go up in flame, so you'll be called the human torch. Now, now, Ben, you're like this big, this big thing, right? This big thing, so you'll be the thing. And I'll be Mr. Fantastic. So anyway, let's... (laughs) That, of course, the joke being he isn't, like, stretch man or stretchy guy. He's Mr. Fantastic. (laughs) He's Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, that doesn't, that's not anything. That's, that's one of my favorite stand-up bits, i got to say. It's pretty pretty good observation there, Norman Noddle. Uh, so, uh, we're not just talking about Fantastic Four, folks, or the 2019 transition, but, man, 
A lot of transitions going on in the world of wrestling. We got some updates for NWA, Impact Wrestling, uh, and AEW. What is AEW? You're going to hear all about it on today's episode. Very much looking forward to discussing that and uh, the possibilities of AEW. Uh, sadly, though, we will also be talking about the recent passing of one mean Gene Okerlund, uh, who's been one of the man most prolific figures in the world of wrestling, WWF, WCW, all throughout the decades. Man, mean Gene's gone, Darren. I really am very upset about the death of mean Gene and uh, you know, looking forward to talking about it a little bit more. Um, and I tell you what, though, it's strange about this uh, list of headlines. Uh, NWA, Impact Wrestling, and AEW, I will tell you this much. If you ever had any doubt uh, who the worldwide leader in sports entertainment is, just look at all of these buzzards circling. Uh, they're not, you know, they're circling WWE, which is far from a, a carcass. And uh, I, I love I love competition. I love an alternative to what Vince McMahon and friends do. But uh, it's very funny to see all of this news kind of surrounds companies that have tried or are about to try and uh, do what Vince does better than Vince does it. Right. Credit credit to Vince McMahon for being the shrewd businessman. It's gotten him this far, Darren. And I think he's going to be facing a lot of challenges here real soon. AEW may be chief among them. So, Well, speaking of big competition for Vince McMahon, we're talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, Darren. We're talking about their WrestleMania, as we like to call it. Well, a lot of people call it that. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13. We got to talk about that. Yeah, we got to talk all about that show because that was some good stuff. That was uh, an excellent wrestling show. Always one of the very best of the year. And uh, I can't wait to talk about it with you and see how we feel about this year's uh, version. And it won't be the last competition we talk about today because we will also give you an update on our little internal competition, that being the third annual Royal Rumble Contest. That's right, folks. The Royal Rumble Contest. The third annual Royal Rumble Contest is going on right now. Uh, we need you, hashtag dear listeners, to sign up. Send us a Gmail at the whole reference show at gmail.com, T H E W H O L E R E F N S H O W at gmail.com. Uh, send us your information, your name, social media handle, location, a picture would be great. And uh, out of all the entries, 30 of you will be selected to participate in the Rumble contest itself. It's been a lot of fun the last couple of years. Yeah, and hey, guess what, everybody? We love you. We love you. We love you. But uh, the longer you wait, you, you're risking missing out here. Now, we, you know, we've got some of you in line, but I think there are some of you that the way that you message us, uh, and you do so in such a wonderful fashion, and we love you, uh, <laughs> yet you haven't entered the contest. What are you doing? Uh, it would take far less time to just send me your submission uh, to enter the contest. So go ahead and do it, please. Get your submissions in. Don't assume that you're in the contest. Because we want you in the contest, so sign up now. Make Email. It, that's right. Make it official. Do what Darren says. Out of everyone who enters, 30 will be selected. And uh, out of the 30, you will all be assigned numbers ranging from 1 to 30. And the number will coincide with the actual entrance in the official WWE Royal Rumble. Not only the Men's Rumble, 
Also, the women's rumble. So if you get number five, the fifth person to enter either rumble will be your wrestler. That wrestler goes on to win the rumble. You win the contest. That's how it works, folks. So uh, get your entries in now. Don't delay. We will be announcing the 30 participants in our episode going into Royal Rumble weekend and uh, assigning numbers on that episode as well. So sign up today, ladies and gentlemen. And as that competition rolls on, we're going to roll on. Talk about those headlines. Saturday, the 5th of January, 2019, here in this glorious 2019, from Clarksville, Tennessee. I wonder if they took a train. To <laughs> I was going to say, did they take the last train to Clarksville? Monkeys and reference. Only here on the whole reference show, folks. <laughs> the monkeys, the Jetsons, and 2020. Man, what we... year is it? <laughs> We're looking forward to the future by talking about the past. Uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, though, looking to the past and the future, I think it's simultaneously because when you're talking about the National Wrestling Alliance, that's exactly what you're doing. For there is no richer past in all of pro wrestling than the National Wrestling Alliance. And thanks to Billy Corgan, there's certainly a lot of hope for the future. And in Clarksville, Tennessee, the NWA held... Uh, what they're calling a pop-up event. Uh, I know that the subtitle of the show was New Year's Clash, but they seem to be focused far more heavily on the quote-unquote hashtag, if you will, pop-up event logo. The marketing all says pop-up event. It all says NWA pop-up event. There's an entire like scheme for this. So I think that what Billy Corgan is going with this pop-up event idea is that they're going to just sort of arrive in a town here and there, not necessarily with a great amount of, uh, of, I guess, early advertising or marketing and just see what happens. I don't know that that's a great idea for a company that's just trying to get back out there, but it certainly is different. And uh, different always dares to be good. Different always has the ability um, to be innovative and innovative itself is good well at this pop-up event um among other things like the nwa world championship being defended by champion nick aldis the thing that caught most everyone's attention was the return of former wcw world champion and hollywood movie star and the former mr courtney cox of course we're talking about david arquette and uh, david arquette is like uh, and I would not compare him to Andy Kaufman because Andy Kaufman is a dear, dear idol to my heart. Uh, but David Arquette, I'll get a hand it to him. He is playing the nice, I'm from Hollywood and therefore I'm a villain role. And here he is uh, in the heart of NWA country, especially for the last 20 years, and that is Tennessee. And here he is taking on another NWA mainstay in Josephus Brody. Um, who may be going sans Brody these days, but I know that uh, as Josephus, he's sort of an NWA through and through kind of guy. And a lot of media attention came onto this, a lot of focus because of David Arquette, who he is. And then, of course, wrestling media attention comes onto it, again because of David Arquette and who he is. But to the wrestling world, he isn't the star of the screen movies first. He isn't the former... Mr. Courtney Cox first. The first thing he is, is a Vince Russo travesty 
of the Monday Night Wars and the death of WCW era. So to see him coming back into wrestling, the NWA of all places, it's going to get a lot of focus. It's going to get a lot of attention. Right. I mean, it's it's obviously he's back because he wants to be. I seriously doubt he's making uh, WCW money at this point. Um, no, 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 probably not. Probably not. No, and I, I know that uh, David Arquette actually looks back with great fondness on his WCW career. I mean, who wouldn't? He became champion instantly. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that's pretty cool. I know... I, I do know, it, uh, I have it on good authority, that uh, in his office he does have the WCW title hung up. Um, so, and he's had that up there for years. So, I mean, it's, it's something he looks back, you know, on with fondness and happiness. And he's proud of the championship. And obviously he's a fan of the wrestling business. I can't say that about every celebrity who's ever entered the ring for one reason or another. Um, and the fact that he's back and involved in NWA and involved with, uh, it's just funny we're talking about wrestling, but we're saying names like Billy Corgan and David Arquette. Um, <laughs> so it's like, are we talking about wrestling? Um, we're not talking about the, the nineties. Um, weird thing is of all things for David Arquette and Billy Corgan to be in the NWA. Right. The, the most wrestling thing there is like dirty, gritty, Southern Territory Wrestling, and we're talking about Billy Corgan, the guy from Smashing Pumpkins, and David Arquette, the guy from the Scream movies. Um, yeah, so that, that that's interesting in itself. But it's cool that he's back, and he's got credibility. Whether you like it or not, he is a former WCW Heavyweight Champion, and that's not a long list. Uh, most, people, most people don't like that. <laughs> a lot of people don't like it, but you know what? It's all fake bullshit anyway. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. Another thing that he's got a lot of what T- tattoos. He does have a lot of tattoos. He has a lot of tattoos, and he's he's in pretty decent shape. And like, he shoots a good bad guy promo. Like, it was funny. He was shooting some. I'm assuming with his cell phone in his home with his two young uh, sons in the video. And for some reason, he is wearing a blonde wig. And he just looks like an idiot and a moron, but he's like talking like as stupid as he looks. The promo itself is very serious, targeting Josephus and the NWA and uh, really the wrestling industry. And it's that kind of stuff that reminds me of Andy Kaufman and that kind of stuff that that gets me excited. Well, as we discussed before, there's many aspects to a wrestler. It's not all about physicality and can you do a 450 or not. Um, one of those things is uh, presentation, uh, theatrics, and uh, David Arquette has something that uh, I'd say about 80% of wrestlers don't have, which is uh, uh, acting ability. Uh, so as far as him being a character, being a believable character, he's a good enough actor to pull off a, a, a believable character in the wrestling world, so more power to him. Oh, most definitely. And all these press conferences and stuff where Billy Corgan is there and is trying to be, you know... <laughs> It's it's funny to see Billy Corgan in this leadership role because he kind of looks half like he doesn't want to be there, but you know he does because like nobody wants to be there more than Billy Corgan except maybe David Arquette. Like Billy <laughs> is super into it, but he's Billy Corgan and he stands there and he looks like Billy Corgan and he sounds like Billy Corgan, so you, you can't really think like oh yeah, it's not like watching Vince McMahon or you know Eric Bischoff or something. It's, it's Billy Corgan, but it's funny because you're watching these press conferences and then David Arquette is also sitting at the table, but like, he looks so, like, I'm sold. Like, like I, I as a viewer, am totally sold because like, he looks like he's just wringing his hands 
and like counting the seconds and just sweating bullets because he's so angry and he's so ready to, to fight. And like, that's cool. That's what wrestling is supposed to do. It's supposed to sell you a fight you don't want to miss. Absolutely. And NWA is, is probably most well-known for the like legitimate heat fights. And more, more so than WWF, I will say. People are like, oh man, NWA, I used to watch Dusty Rhodes, and oh my god, Ric Flair, and they, these people wanted to actually kill each other. It's like, no, it was all fake bullshit, like all wrestling's fake bullshit. But there's something about it, there was an extra element of like, I think they mean it kind of a thing going on back in the day. But I, I will say, if anyone, if anyone knows what it's like to be standing in a wrestling ring and for the audience to be going, shouldn't you be doing other things? It would be Billy Corgan. Uh, and for sure, I'm saying, for sure. As far as David Arquette's concerned, people going, shouldn't you be making another Scream movie? Well, you know, David Arquette and Josephus, they did get in the ring in Clarksville, and it was a hair versus hair match. Well, uh, Josephus, his hair is bowed down to his belt in the back, and he has quite a lengthy beard. And uh, David Arquette, just kind of short haircut. He's kind of got the cool guy, you know, high and tight with little floppy bangs thing going on, maybe about a week old beard. So, at first glance, you think, well, it's easy. It's easy for Arquette to lose because he won't have to shave that much. And what he, ha you know, he can get this look back pretty quickly. Um, and he's the interloper here. And uh, hashtag fake bullshit or hashtag if wrestling were real. Just makes sense to, to let David Arquette get that shine of also losing the match. And then, of course, how do you disrupt Josephus's trademark look this severely well i was wrong because <laughs> josephus lost this match it was a tag team match uh in which david arquette was with tim storm former nwa world champion and josephus was with his spiritual advisor uh the bald female um shaman who follows uh josephus around and anyway josephus comes up on the losing end of this shaves his head and his face hairless and he is unrecognizable and he is defeated and uh as such he has been covering his face and he's been wearing a long blonde wig over his <laughs> on his head and it's uh it's quite an appearance meanwhile david arquette stands victorious so hey Maybe he's maybe he's got another title run in him one day. Oh, he's man. climbing the ladder right now. Fingers crossed, and I, I do admire his spirit. So I, I'm not I'm not a hater of David Arquette. Uh, I don't know if I would have put the title on him back in the day if I had the choice, but uh, I, I do appreciate his appreciation for uh, sports entertainment slash wrestling. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And speaking of former NWA wrestlers. Let's take a look at what's happening with Raven and Tommy Dreamer. I'm sure you would love to take a look at what's going on with Raven at any point, especially when he's... Uh... Don't, don't you do it. <laughs> don't you do it. Okay, I don't won't do it. Okay. Hey, 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 Darren. What, what? Uh, what, what do you think uh, Raven's favorite thing to order a restaurant is? You, uh, you, think, you, think it's, uh, you think it's prime rib? I'll kill you. <laughs> This is the least favorite two hours of my week. Hey, aww. Speaking of wrestlers who wrestled for the NWA and a company that was once very closely affiliated with the NWA and Billy Corgan for that matter, comes Raven, who is also closely affiliated with Billy Corgan for that matter. 
and Tommy Dreamer. Apparently, Dreamer had made his return to Impact Wrestling not that long ago and is involved in some sort of program with Eli Drake. Admittedly, neither of us are that familiar with this product because it's still almost impossible to see current Impact Wrestling. They are working on that, however. They're trying to get a better, a better TV deal. And I wish the best for him because, hey, if I can find it, I'll watch it. Because I watch the YouTube, I watch their stuff on YouTube. I watch their stuff on Twitch. Um, there was this weird app I found, the smart TV app called Pluto, and it also had like twenty-four hour streaming Impact Wrestling. Uh, that, but it was different than the Twitch stream, or at least I think it was. So it goes to show you, if I can find it, I'll watch it. So come on, Impact, get on a get on a real TV or smart TV outlet, just just be findable. So apparently Pluto is not a planet, but it is an app. Just, so you, <laughs> just for everyone who's keeping score here. Eventually they'll they'll make it not an app, though. So Right. So Raven and Dreamer uh, together in Impact Wrestling. Obviously those two have a long, long history uh, when it comes to wrestling. Obviously 90% of it happening at ECW. Um, some glorious stuff, some really uh, bloody matches came out of that, a lot of great memorable uh, moments in ECW. Probably the most memorable feud from ECW, right? I mean, was that pretty safe to say? Oh, I, I would definitely say that. I mean, ECW has some of the most amazing feuds there have ever been, Right. and I'll still take Raven and Dreamer as the top of that. I mean, you obviously you have Taz and Sabu, you have the Triple Threat versus the new Triple Threat, you have... RVD and Jerry Lynn, you have Raven and Sandman. Uh, you, you know, you've got Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck. You, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Tanaka and, and Awesome. Oh my God, yes. I mean, I, I still, uh, of all the wrestling shows I've ever been to, I count my lucky stars that right in the middle of that Awesome and Tanaka feud in the late 90s uh, and early 2000s, I was able to see them have what they called their favorite match against each other. I saw it live in Tallahassee, Florida from the front row. And one of the matches that it's like, Oh, I'm so glad I got to see that. Right. Like it, you know, we don't, like, like a true notch on my belt kind of match. Right. Um, so I guess the big question here is what kind of match can Raven and dreamer put on nowadays? The two of them, not exactly in their prime as uh, one might say. Um, so it, it's, it's, is it enough to, to kind of have them there? And just be those two guys. I mean, I don't want to say like it. It reminds me of already. It reminds me of like watching Taker fight Triple H now, where it's like, man, my, my in my brain, this is like, oh, this is awesome. But when I my eyes tell me it's not great. <laughs> well, okay, that's totally fair. That's right, right. I mean, totally fair, and it's a good question. Well, first, for starters, they're not they're not opposing one another. Raven actually came to Tommy's aid. Uh, in this feud he's having with Eli Drake, and they stood together um, against Eli Drake, and I believe that they're going to remain together, at least, of course, until Raven turns on Dreamer, <laughs> which, uh, I mean, is inevitable, right? But, right, 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 right. Uh, at first glance, I was okay with it. Tommy looks as good as he's looked in a very long time. Like, Luckily, he was never in, like, supreme shape. So he's he was always been in okay shape. So as long as he's consistently in okay shape, he only looks a little older is all. I'm glad that he was not in supreme shape. Do you remember Supreme from uh XPW? Oh my god, yes, yes I do. 
he was in he was in terrible shape. But <laughs> talk about somebody that can take a licking and keep on ticking. That dude, I don't know how he is still alive. He might not be alive. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I'm surprised he survived some of the matches that he was in. Absolutely. But uh, Raven actually looked great. Like that's the thing is, and Raven is is was and will always be my favorite wrestler. But uh, because of years and years of abusing his body with drugs, like hard drugs and alcohol, um, you know, he has not looked really healthy in a long time. But there he was on Impact TV and all the video that I saw, you know, like I said, already said Dreamer looked good, but Raven looked damn good. I was really happy for him. I mean, he's still got that, like, platinum blonde hair that's kind of tied back in a little nub. But, like, other than that, he looked good. And it was really exciting to, you know, because I guess, you know, Dreamer adopted the, like, Christ-like pose of Raven long, 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 long ago in mockery of Raven. But to see them standing side by side in the ring in 2019, both in the Christ pose, like, that was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Nothing for me beats when uh, Dreamer, I I think this is when the, I'm pretty sure this is when the Dudleys went to WWE but they still had the ECW Tag Team Championships, and they basically were, they I guess Heyman had to figure out how to get the, the tag belts off of the Dudleys. So I think Tommy Dreamer challenged the Dudley boys to a match on ECW TV, and then Raven came out and helped Dreamer beat the Dudley boys for the belts. That was like probably the coolest uh, team up like ever, and the most like surprising thing, because those two hated each other more than any other two wrestlers hated each other. So for that to happen was like, oh my god! I mean, you you can't do that twice. And unfortunately, this is that happening again, more this or less. Is that, you're right. This is that happening again. But it's been 20 years, so I'll take it. Right. It was only yesterday to me. Yeah, that night though in the Hammerstein Ballroom when Raven returned and uh, he had been in. This was after he left WCW after the famous like bischoff asking if anybody else would like to leave wcw and raven was like i do and he's like okay bye (laughs) uh, so raven left uh you know ted turner's wcw returned to ecw and uh returned to new york city there in the hammerstein ballroom this was right after raven had started painting the onk on his face of course we saw that the first time in wcw when he briefly had the group the deadpool with vampiro and the insane clown posse but, um, Speaking yeah, of, know. shouldn't you guys be doing other things? <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. But, uh, man, that was a great night. It was so cool. And then uh, the, the fact that Raven and Dreamer actually stayed together back then for a little while and had tag matches against, like, Awesome and Tanaka together. Like, that was very cool stuff. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, reminiscent about ECW. But... Uh, we'll see what Raven and Dreamer are capable of in Impact Wrestling. Uh, all we can do is tune in. Either way we can, uh, other through YouTube or Twitch, and uh, see what's shaking there. Uh, speaking of uh, reflecting on old times, though, Darren, uh, there is a name uh, that will always make me think of wrestling uh, and Tutti Fruity as well. Uh, mean Gene <laughs> Okerlund. Mean Gene Okerlund sadly passed away recently. And, uh, man, Mean Gene has just been around ever since wrestling has been on TV. Like, like you know, widespread TV. Um, WWF, all the way back into early 80s, maybe late 70s, Mean Gene was there? 
Uh, well, Mean Gene in the late seventies and early eighties, Mean Gene was in the AWA, yeah, uh, yeah. which is actually Vern Gagne gave him his start, and um, just like Gagne gave many people their start, like Ventura and Adonis and Hogan. Um, you know, AWA was a breeding ground. Heenan, uh, hell, Dusty Rhodes. Um, a lot of a lot of people had a lot of great success in AWA before WWF, but Vince knew who to poach, and Mean Gene was. The guy, the voice, like, you know, uh, what, what do they call Mel Torme, the, the Velvet Fog? Correct, yes. Uh, you know, if there's a Velvet Fog of wrestling, it was Mean Gene, because those were a set of pipes that had a certain voice with a certain richness and a certain ring that was unmistakable. Mean Gene sounded like like smooth bourbon, man, like... I love to hear Mean Gene talk. It is so uh, so soothing and nostalgic, and uh, he, and he could turn it up too. It could be funny. It could be serious. It could be momentous. I mean, you you hear him talking uh, in the ring at the first few WrestleManias in uh, in the ring backstage, and he is talking. He's he's putting a voice. He's putting a voice to what we're seeing with our eyes throughout. 40 years of wrestling and uh, on the grandest of stages. And what a voice and what a personality for Mean Gene Okerlund. Absolutely. Someone who was there in the, you know, what's pretty much known for a lot of people, uh, the golden years of WWF. Um, the highest point of WCW, Mean Gene was there as well. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's had quite the career, whether he's, you know, backstage promoing, interviewing with uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, Ric Flair, or he's plugging the WCW hotline on Nitro. Um, <laughs> mean Gene just uh, always there and just, man, like it's, it's, it's very sad to see him go, but there, there is so much material to watch with Mean Gene's face and voice on it. Um, oh, so it's, it's incredible. So many great memories to be relived over and over again, and, and again, that's the... The beauty of uh, television and, and videos and DVDs, Coliseum videos, if you will, uh, DVDs, and of course, the WWE Network, love it or hate it, there is the archives there. It's undeniable how much wrestling you can watch on the network, and uh, you, you can watch probably most of Mean Gene's career on the network right now. Um, so that's it's great. He's had a great career and a great life, is what, what it seemed, and uh, sadly passed away at the age of uh, 76. Uh, but man, uh, again, that's someone who accomplished a lot in his life, I feel, and uh, a, a very large degree of fame as well. So that's it. Mean Gene, Godspeed, and best to the, the friends and family of one Mean Gene Okerlund. Absolutely. R.I.P. Mean Gene. You are missed already, dude. You are missed already. And one thing Mean Gene knew what to do, and it was how to hype something. It was how to look to greener pastures when they may beckon. And that is exactly what Mean Gene probably would have looked forward to in Jacksonville, Florida. When all elite wrestling presented itself to the world for the first time formally. That's right, AEW, All Elite Wrestling, funded by Tony Khan and Shad Khan, father and son, uh, international businessmen, billionaires, 
owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and now the owners and uh, at least Tony Khan, president of AEW, with vice presidents Cody Rhodes and Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks, they hold this rally to announce uh, sort of their coming out party. And we all know about AEW. This is the these are the uh, not speaking about the cons, but of course speaking about Rhodes and the Jacksons. We're talking about the minds and the money behind All In, and of course we're talking about the minds and the money behind the Elite, and basically minus Kenny Omega, the minds and the money behind the Bullet Club. At least for the last twelve to eighteen months both in New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor, and yet here they are. They're not Bullet Club. They're not New Japan. They're not Ring of Honor. They're damn sure not WWE, although they are across the street from where WWE was holding SmackDown, and that created its own set of problems. But no, they're AEW. I, I mean, what do you... what? Just first thoughts, Perry. First thoughts of AEW, uh, when a, a billionaire wants to get involved in wrestling uh, and, and potentially put wrestling product on TBS, uh, what are my first thoughts? I, I don't know. Maybe uh, Ted Turner. <laughs> Ted Turner, who did that with WCW, potentially. Um, no, it's, it seems like a match made in heaven. Uh, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and all their grand ideas and someone else's millions of dollars. What wrestler wouldn't take the money and run in that case? And... and Hopefully make a great product. Now, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks proved that they can put on their own show with the success that was All In. And uh, All In 2 coming uh, coming to you very soon as well this year, I believe in May, in Las Vegas. Um, so, I mean, it seems... Double or nothing, they're calling it. Double, they shouldn't call it that because a lot of people do double nothing and they lose in Las Vegas. But... Uh, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to be a loss for these guys uh, at all. Um, but anyway... AEW is exciting and it's it's fun. Uh, I think that's one thing that's always hindered other wrestling promotions that weren't Vince McMahon fueled is they don't have a lot of money to do anything that can match the production value of a WWE show or you know whoever. So if if these people are willing to put up the money and Cody Rhodes knows how to make a wrestling show, then it, it sounds like it can't miss, especially with the talent that's already been announced for AEW. Yeah, and so with that being said, here are a few things that we do know. Uh, father and son Khan have uh, committed $100 million to this project just for starters. We also know that they are trying to broker a deal with Turner Broadcasting. Now, whether that means appearing on TBS, TNT, uh, who knows, but Turner Broadcasting uh, is the contact point. We know that after Double or Nothing, they already have a third show planned for Jacksonville. We know that they have copyrighted the brand Tuesday Night Dynamite. So we know that they're looking to have a Tuesday night television show. I was going to say, which will which will, will premiere on Thursdays? Uh. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the talent. Well, we know for sure that in addition to Cody, Brandy, and the Young Bucks, we're also going to see the hangman, Adam Page, Joey Janela and Penelope Ford, MJF, SoCal Uncensored, and all of those people are actually wrestling with non-exclusive contracts. I know that especially like Janela likes to appear here, there, and everywhere. MJF uh, is, is heavily involved with Major League Wrestling right now. 
SoCal Uncensored, I mean, those guys are kind of ROH ride or die, at least over the last three or four years. But signing a three-year exclusive deal with AEW was one of the biggest surprises of the evening uh, at the rally in Jacksonville, and that is Chris Jericho. Three-year exclusive deal with AEW. So that's showing you that somebody, whether it's Cody and the Bucks, whether it's the Cons, or whether it's Jericho or his agent or whomever, somebody believes this project's lasting at least three years. And uh, we also know that Cody and the Bucks have announced that people will be paid better than ever before. People will be paid more fairly than ever before. Money will not be disguised, hidden, or withheld, and males and females will be paid exactly the same. Also, insurance for injured wrestlers as well. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like WCW all over again with guaranteed contracts, guaranteed money. Uh, I'm sure Jericho is going to have like a New Japan type of schedule where it's, you know, three appearances in a year. Um, no, that's true. That's true. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's no way that's not that's not what's going on. I don't, um, ah, it's kind of mean to say it, but I don't see the benefit of Jericho at this point besides his namesake. Um, only because, I mean, he, he, let's face it, he can't go like he used to could go. Jericho has had an awesome career. He's done some awesome things. He's had some really great success. And I, I, I always go back to that same, I always harp on that same thing about Jericho that we talked about before, Darren, where it's like you have Jericho who is struggling in the mid cards in WCW. You know, they won't give a title shot. You know, they, they won't give a main event spot. All the quote old guys won't go away and taking up all the precious time. And now Jericho is doing the same thing in WWE, the same thing in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and now I'm going to do it in AEW. He is he is Hulk Hogan. He has become his own Hulk Hogan. He, which is, in his mind, his own enemy. Right, exactly. So that, that, that's, that's my conflict right there. It's a conflict of interest for me because he's doing all the things that he would have hated someone like him doing. Well, isn't, isn't everything you just said, aren't those kind of the lyrics to that song that he's coming out to right now? His own song, Judas, where he's talking about the Judas that he's become. <laughs> he, he really has. He's just kind of, maybe that's why he wrote the song about his real life heel turn. Right. And to, I'm not getting out of the way for the youngins. It's still me. Right. On the top all the time. Well, much like Hogan was back then, Jericho is a draw now. So I, I get why you want to involve him, but at the same time, it's kind of like, all these young wrestlers and Jericho, so come and see AEW. So it, that, that's kind of funny. It, it's, it's, just like, it's just like Hogan joining NWO. You have these two younger guys and then Hulk Hogan. You have the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and Chris Jericho. So it, it's, it's the same thing. History... They say, and this is your favorite topic, history, they say it repeats itself, Darren, and it's actually repeating itself right now with a billionaire giving millions of dollars to a wrestling company just so he can get into the wrestling business and basically giving the playbook to these young bucks, if you will. And uh, <laughs> you, you, you want to get your, your, your mainstay former WWF, WWE throwback guy in there so people... People will have a frame of reference like it is the same thing happening all over again. But that being said, I am very excited about AEW. And, uh, man, anything, any more competition for WWE is good. Period. 
Oh, I, absolutely. And the fact that I, I know AEW is built on the fact that Cody and the Bucks are stepping away from the, the indie scene, so to speak, and stepping away from New Japan, I know that they have every intention of trying to partner with some of these companies, including New Japan, because that not just because they're, you know, I guess, I guess people could argue that they're trying to find a lifeline, like just in case this falls apart. Well, at least we're affiliated with New Japan, and if our company disappears, it can exist in name only. You know, like sort of like Jeff Jarrett did with Global I was Force about to Wrestling, say, the global thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that. I really do think it's more of their belief that wrestling should not be so exclusive. That it's okay for somebody to appear on an AEW card and an ROH card and a New Japan card and probably in Cody's mind, but never in Vince's mind, also a WWE card. We know how badly Chris Jericho was lobbying to defend his IWGP Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam in New York this year. And Vince was like, absolutely not. Now, I don't think we ever got word about how New Japan felt about it, and they may not have wanted it either, but I feel like they would have done it before Vince would have done it. Oh, absolutely. And how cool would it be to see New Japan titles defended in AEW and vice versa? Uh, you know, we, We've seen it for years with New Japan and Ring of Honor, but anyway... There are some unknowns. That's a lot of knowns that we got in really just one day. One day, one rally, one set of announcements. But there are some unknowns. A lot of uh, talk about who's going to be involved behind the scenes. Who's going to be involved on the microphone. Who's going to be involved as agents and bookers and uh, other non-wrestling attractions. Uh, Jim Ross seems to be a shoe-in. Um, he mums the word from Camp JR because he's still technically under contract to the WWE, but apparently that runs out in February, something like that. Goldberg also being mentioned for some sort of non-wrestling role um, because of his relationship, his close relationship with Cody. Uh, for that matter, I could definitely see DDP uh, factoring in somehow. And uh, at this point, what that says to me is, it sounds more and more like WCW every day. Um, what is, <laughs> it's like you're only helping my point, dear. Right. But two main names are keeping this thing hot, like white hot with speculation. Those names, Kenny Omega and AJ Styles. Kenny Omega, who we uh, are going to talk about in a little bit when we talk about Wrestle Kingdom, it, it appears he will be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. He has been in extensive talks with Triple H and Vince McMahon from everything we've heard. Also, we've heard they have been talks where they are pulling out all the stops. They want Omega, not just because they want him, because they don't want anyone else to have him. Oh, exactly. That, that's that's Vince McMahon to a T. It's just he won't let anyone go because, no, that means someone else. They'll, they'll go and make money somewhere else. They'll be seen somewhere else. So, yeah. Well, Kenny Omega wrestling full-time in the United States that's going to be a big deal, at least for a little while. Now, on this very program, The Whole Ref and Show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, we have talked about that there, there, there's a question. Will Kenny Omega remain as hot if American audiences see him, A, on American wrestling programming, B, all the time, and C, operating much more 
under someone else's vision, whether it's Vince or, or anyone else. And will Kenny remain as hot? I'll tell you this much. I know he'll remain hot for a while, but how long is that while? And will Kenny sign with WWE or will he sign with AEW? Also, AJ Styles being the other name, his WWE contract not too far from coming up as well, and he is, the rumor mill is going bananas talking about AJ going to AEW. Those two names make perfect sense. Why wouldn't Kenny do it to go rejoin with the Elite, and why wouldn't AJ do it? AJ spent the vast majority of his career away from WWE, Going to AEW, I'm sure he could broker just as much money with the cons as he could the McMahons, probably for a lighter schedule and with more creative control. Because, yes, AJ has accomplished a lot in his WWE run, but has he done much, if any of it, his way? I don't think so. Um, It's certainly not a WWE run that he should regret or lament or look back upon poorly. Because he's been to the top of the mountain a couple of times. He's had some great feuds, some great matches, lots of exposure. He's certainly by now had his WrestleMania moment, maybe even WrestleMania moments. So AEW wouldn't exactly be like, you know, shooting old Yeller uh, (laughs) out behind the shed to put him out of his misery. Um, And it wouldn't be putting him out to pasture. I think he would still... um, go have some great matches, maybe even some better matches in AEW, but just get off the road a little bit because he's not the youngest guy anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, he won't be the youngest guy, especially in, in the ring full of those people we mentioned before, which is, you know, Cody and Young Bucks and Hangman Page. Um, I mean, but obviously AJ Styles can still go, and something tells me he can still do a New Japan caliber match uh, if if he needed to, so... Uh, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, and obviously we'll keep our eyes on this and our ears to the ground. And when we get updates, we'll let you folks know. Um, but uh, it's it's exciting. And hopefully this ends up on TBS for us to watch every week. And it's just more wrestling to follow. And uh, it's, it's just super exciting. Very, very exciting. I will say that in all of this uh, hullabaloo surrounding the, the elite, it is a little little sad to see that they're leaving the villain, Marty Skrull, behind. And uh, if you see Being the Elite on YouTube and you see them slowly saying goodbye to Marty Skrull, uh, because as we have learned, Marty Skrull is staying uh, in his contracts to wrestle with New Japan and with Ring of Honor at least through the Madison Square Garden show, which will be WrestleMania weekend. Uh, so for now, Marty's sort of left behind, and they've played some really kind of silly, sappy, um, sentimental bits where Marty is all alone. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Marty Scurll in these last few, what may be his last few months with New Japan and with Ring of Honor. But talking about New Japan, we've got Wrestle Kingdom 13 to talk about it. I say uh, we get to it. What do you think? All right, Darren, let's do it. Hey guys, this is El Serpentico, and you're listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Ref and Show. Live from Tokyo Dome on New Japan World, Wrestle Kingdom 13 
was on Friday, the 4th of January, 2019, and I was watching, I was watching live, and then I had to stop because I had to take you to the airport, <laughs> and uh, then I had to come back home, and I apparently I had to fall asleep, and uh, then wake up later and finish watching the rest of the show. Right, a lot of people don't realize that New Japan pro wrestling uh, pay-per-views tend to happen early in the morning slash late at night. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom started at what time? Uh, well, it started at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, the time differential between Eastern Standard Time and Japanese time is 15 hours. So, um, I guess if it starts at 2, the pre-show started at 2 a.m., so... So 12 hours would be 2 o'clock p.m. minus 3 hours. So, so, so five, no, 5 plus 3 hours. So 5 p.m. Okay. So 5 p.m. live in Tokyo. 5 p.m. on Friday the 4th of January. He's not a math teacher, folks. 2 a.m. is 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 pretty pretty relentless. It's tough for the East, East Coast viewer. Not so bad for the Pacific Coast viewers. I mean, it's not great. But hell, 11 p.m. start time. Like, if you're a night owl at all, that's a that's great. It's still gonna end at uh, like 4 a.m. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's out of the ordinary, <laughs> but it's better than trying to watch on the East Coast. Right. Um, believe me, I struggled. <laughs> um, but not because the show was boring. Just because that's a weird time to try and sit still by yourself and watch an athletic event in the dark. <laughs> but it's a great show. Um, I'm going to say this at the very beginning. I, I, I'm going I'm to give you a real quick like um, positivity sandwich, which is, it was a great show. It wasn't that great of a show. It was a great show. Okay. And the, <laughs> the reason I'm going to put it that way is I've watched Wrestle Kingdom 11, 12, and 13 live. Um, I saw Wrestle Kingdom 10 on a delay. And I've seen parts of Wrestle Kingdom 9. I haven't seen Wrestle Kingdom 1 through 8. But out of 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, this was the weakest of the shows. Ooh. I actually not, would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I, I think I know where you're going with this. Show. Not a bad show. Right. It was lacking a little bit of something. It was lacking a little oomph. And uh, maybe as we go through it, I'll be able to put my finger on it better. But... Right here uh, in this opening bit, I, I can't really formulate exactly why it didn't feel amazing. But it didn't feel amazing. Nevertheless, it was a great show with a lot of great matches. And I say we get right into it. The pre-show consisted of, of just one match. I'll tell you one thing I was missing. I was missing the New Japan Rumble. Because for at least the last couple of years, the pre-show has been a New Japan Rumble. Yeah, a nice little appetizer before the, the main course, you know, where you eat way too much, and then you realize, oh, God, I still have to eat my meal. Right. Now, uh... Not that know, I've ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> instead of getting... So, basically, instead of getting 30 guys, we get 20 guys. So, I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not that crazy. Um, not that crazy of a difference. But the pre-show is a gauntlet match. For the number one contestant, and this is too many stipulations here, but it is a gauntlet match for the number one contendership to the never open weight six man tag championships. 
and it's five teams. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you the order that they entered. First was the Elite. Don't call them the Bullet Club. The Elite um, of Marty Skrull, Hangman Page, Yujiro Takahashi. And uh, the three of them are accompanied by Chase Owens and Piter. Piter is, of course, the uh, Bullet Club bunny, the Tokyo Pimps bunny that is always with Takahashi. Of course. And uh, next, the team of Yuji Nagata, Jeff Cobb, and David Finlay. And they are, I mean, this is the Island of Misfit Toys as far as a six-man tag team goes. Um, Chaos, uh, the team of Chaos, Hiroki Goto, and Team Best Friends, Beretta and Chucky T. Chucky T, friend uh, of the show. Friend of the show, Chuck Taylor, former guest here on the whole Reffin show. Next, the team of Suzuki-Goon, led by their leader, Minoru Suzuki as well as Lance Archer and Davy Boy Smith Jr., uh, together known as the Killer Elite Squad. Uh, and the two of them backing up Minoru Suzuki, that's terrifying. If I saw those three men coming toward me, uh, I get the cliche is in an alley, but if I saw those three men coming toward me in at a, uh, a baby's christening, I'd be terrified. Uh, <laughs> if I saw those three men coming toward me while I was hunting Easter eggs, I would be terrified. Those are three scary dudes. Uh, last but not least, the uh, team of Togi Makabe, Toru Yano, ugh, <laughs> and Ryusuke Taguchi. Um, so let's talk about it. Um, I will say I feel bad for Togi Makabe because I have no use for Toru Yano. I he know. is not funny. I he is know. not good. I don't care for him. and Maybe uh, his comedy doesn't translate. Maybe there's something lost in translation for, for us uh, us gaijins, if you will. Well, it, it, it gets over. They love him. Tokyo Dome loves him. Right. He's, he's but, their um, Johnny Carson, I hear. <laughs> and even Ryusuke Taguchi, I, I mean, he's not the, the most serious wrestler, but, like, he came out with a... Um, uh, a rugby helmet on or something or like uh, I couldn't tell if it was rugby or if it was Australian rules football but some helmet and some striped shirt and some ball and I was like stop it it's, <laughs> it's like some Santino Morello bullshit well they, they love they love dressing up uh, in, in costumes over there especially for Wrestle Kingdom itself but my problem with Yano is that I always think of Yanosh uh, the character from Ghostbusters 2. I think we discussed this the last time we discussed Wrestle Kingdom, um, but i just like to reference uh, Dr. Janusz Poha uh, whenever I can from Ghostbusters 2. Well, I'd like to, if I could say anything it would to Toru Yano, it would be, uh, Mr. Yano, why are you came? <laughs> um, why are you came to Wrestle Kingdom? Please get off of my TV right now. Oh, man. Um, all right, so the match opens with the Elite Versus the Island of Misfit Toys, Nagata Cobb and Finlay. Finlay eliminates Takahashi early by surprise, which really was crazy because it's like, well, there goes the elite. <laughs> so much for their big goodbye to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Sorry, pal. And so then you've got the team, uh, team Chaos out there with Hiroki Goto, who had much more high profile matches the last couple of years. Uh, at Wrestle Kingdom this year, teaming up with Beretta and Chucky e. T. 
big, big, big air maneuvers from best friends. Both Beretta and Taylor are flying through the air with the greatest of ease. This was some of the best aerial assault of the night. And I'm talking about a show that's got Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay on it. Yet here Chuck Taylor and Beretta look like, I mean, hell, it's like the Superman tagline. You'll believe a man can fly. Um, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta were flying all over Tokyo Dome. Well, obviously, uh, Beretta's rubbing off on Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor is a pretty grounded wrestler, or at least he was back in the day. And, I mean, it, it, those are his words himself. Like, he says he has, like, five or six moves. So if a match goes too long, he's a little worried that he has to kind of start repeating offense or think of something quick. So, I mean, he, he, he's a guy that, you know, I don't want to say low risk, but there is something to that. You don't want to get injured uh, during matches. But... Clearly, he knows that he has to, has to take more risks, and uh, Beretta is someone who will absolutely jump off that top rope. So he knew he had to step it up a little bit, and it, it's just cool to see Chuck Taylor do some of these things that he's always been capable of, uh, but it's now it's, it's time for actually see it. I couldn't agree more. Jeff Cobb, you know, he's everywhere right now. He's in Ring of Honor. He's in Major League Wrestling. He's in New Japan. There's plenty of opportunity to see him, but I don't see him very much for for whatever reason when i catch these shows um i think he was even at the last battle of los angeles for pro wrestling gorilla so he's really he's everywhere and yet i don't ever catch his matches well i caught this one i did catch this match in its entirety and i am i i'm impressed um cobb who hails from guam he has crazy Crazy combination uh, combination of strength and agility. The way he can kip up, the way he moves around the ring. I mean, this is a guy who's built like Rhino. And yet, his agility is incredible. Like, I, I'm waiting for him to just like Bam Bam Bigelow cartwheel all over the place. Uh, <laughs> you just said he was like uh, Rhino. Now he's like Bam Bam Bigelow. Well, he does a standing moonsault. And then turns right around, does a double pump handle suplex to Beretta and Chuck Taylor at the same time. Obviously a double, so it's at the same time. But what strength! Um, not to mention balance on the part of best friends, so tip of the cap to them for making Cobb look like a million bucks with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, though, Finley eliminates Chuck Taylor with a roll-up, just exactly uh, the way that he eliminated Takahashi. So it's it's... Like, okay, is this how this is going to go? It's just Dave Finley rolling everybody up? Uh, meanwhile, Davey Boy Smith Jr. and uh, Lance Archer, like I said, with Minoru Suzuki, their, their, uh, their boss, their squad boss uh, uh, with them, are scary looking. They, uh, they finally eliminate Finley together because a killer elite squad of Smith and Archer do their finisher, the killer bomb, which is a combination choke slam and power bomb to Dave Finley eliminating him. Uh, I will say that while uh, Suzuki Goon is in the ring, Suzuki himself, Minoru Suzuki, is the definition of a ring general. I see his opponents looking to him in fear slash cooperation which gives you that element of competition, which isn't always there in pro wrestling. Sometimes it looks too much like a dance, but with Suzuki, it looks like his opponent 
is trying to calculate how in the hell to survive this match. Right. That's really cool. Like, that looks so cool because it's so rare. And so, you know, that that's his opponents. And then uh, the, his teammates, the, the coordination that he's orchestrating with them, he just he looks like he's ruling the show. I, again, I'm turned off. I'm totally turned off by all the gaga with Yano and uh, Taguchi. <laughs> like, Taguchi is, like, on the bottom row. Like, he's standing on the bottom row doing baseball signs, like, touching his nose and rubbing his hand down his forearm and, like, you know, the sign of the cross and tugging on his earlobe. And I'm like, dude, dude, dude. Eh, no, no. I mean, no, uh, Japanese love baseball almost as much as Americans. So, like, at least the Japanese audience gets it. But I, I expect a little bit more out of Taguchi. If Yano himself were doing this, I would still hate it, but at least I'd be like, oh, it's Yano. Taguchi, <laughs> you know. I expect that from Yano, but not you, Taguchi. You're better than that. Exactly. Taguchi, why are you, came? <laughs> um, and then, surprisingly, with that badass Suzuki Goon team in there, Yano... Uh, there's a roll-up on Davy Boy Smith Jr., a man twice his size, twice his meanness, twice his talent. <laughs> Yano eliminates Davy Boy Smith Jr. for the win! Maccabi, Yano, and Taguchi win the damn match. And I said at the beginning I felt bad for Maccabi for being stuck with these two Nimrods, um, whereas, you know, two, three years ago, Maccabi was main eventing Korokin against uh, Okada for the belt. And now here he is in a pre-show match tagging with Yano. <laughs> but they won! So I can't feel too bad for him because now they're the number one contenders for the never open weight six-man tag belt. So good for them, I guess. Good for them, I guess. Anyway, so the show itself starts proper. The never league, sort of the sub or second tier belts, for New Japan Pro Wrestling, underneath the IWGP belts. The Never belts, the Never Openweight Championship, so the, the biggest singles title uh, under the Never banner, which of course is held by Kota Ibushi, is defended in the opening match of the show proper against Will Ospreay, the Brit of international renown. When you talk about aerial maneuvering and acrobatics, you think Will Ospreay. I think everybody still thinks of the Osprey uh, Ricochet match from a few years ago. Sure. Um, you know, Ricochet's still doing it in NXT. Well, guess what? Osprey's still doing it in New Japan. And he's going to do everything he possibly can to get this belt out from around the waist of Kota Ibushi. I will say this this match isn't as much about aerial maneuvers as it is acrobatics, it's more tumbling. Than it is leaping. Um, nevertheless, impressive, like unbelievable acrobatics, um, and the strength. Like these guys, on one hand, they're tumblers. The next, like they're power lifters, and then they're like judo players. Truly unmatched ring skill uh, when you're watching Osprey and Ibushi against each other. It's original. It's it's eye popping. It is the definition of excitement. Um, I just, I really, it's almost too much with Osprey and Ibushi. Well, too much would be all these slapping 
and kicking that went down during the match. Uh, some painful looking spots there, um, especially with Kota Ibushi uh, bleeding uh, by the mouth uh, eventually toward the end of the match, uh, which I think commentators try to say was uh, was an Osprey kick, but I think it was when his head slumped forward into the uh, into the uh, the turnbuckle it- bar. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, right. that, that's what did it. But, uh, yeah, Kota Ibushi, uh, does not fare so well in the match because he actually loses the match to Will Ospreay, losing the title as well. Uh, and, uh, something very seldomly seen in the world of New Japan, he's actually stretchered away, uh, which happens once a week on, you know, WWE television, but <laughs> because it never happens in New Japan, it's actually something special. And, uh, it, it's, it, it, it you you asked me you kind of questioned if it was a real deal or or if it was really happening or if it wasn't uh, supposed to happen that way or what. But I, I, to me, it seemed a little bit like it was all part of the show. Uh, but if anything busted open Kota Ibushi, that was definitely hitting the hitting the bar. I think the the reason that I still questioned whether it was part of the show or whether it was safety precaution or whether it was actual devastating injury. I, could, I mean, it could be any of those three. It could be a combination of those things. But the reason I questioned it the most was because um, they kept saying, oh, we're, we're waiting to hear more about Ibushi. We're waiting to hear the result of his tests. Um, we are hoping to hear word from the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. They said it all night, and they never did. <laughs> they kept talking about waiting for an update, at, you know, so stay tuned. But they never delivered an update. Well, to me, it seems like they didn't deliver an update because there wasn't actually an update, but not because it was fake, but because it was real. Right. And there wasn't an update to be given in time to still get it on the show. So I don't know. I definitely have to say maybe I have not done my due diligence to keep up with that particular story. So got to get back... Uh, and my nose in the middle of the news ticker, at least as far as New Japan is concerned, because we don't want to hear that Kota Ibushi is sidelined. One, because of his, you know, his, his livelihood. And two, because it would take away from our enjoyment. Absolutely. Kota Ibushi, the golden star, I mean, is as good as it gets. Absolutely. And Osprey, though, finishing him with, I, I didn't get the name of that finisher, but it's like, Ibushi's on his shoulder, and then he spins him and drops him into a DDT. I mean, there's so much of those, like, triple, quadruple combo finishers these days, especially from the younger guys. Like, again, it's like me not knowing how to program (laughs) new electronics. It's also me not knowing how to call new wrestling maneuvers. It's like, oh, these kids! Right. And all their newfangled wrestling maneuvers. And my, my VCR, my VCR is flashing twelve o'clock. <laughs> In my day, it was a, a DDT was devastating. You didn't get up. In my day, a sleeper hold put you down. Exactly. In my day, all we had was wood burning DDTs. <laughs> you know the kind. They had to wrestle in the snow uphill. <laughs> Next up, a three-way tag match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. Your champions are Suzuki-Goon, the team of Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado, who also took on Bushi and Shingo Takagi of Los Ingobernables de Japón. Shingo Takagi, the dragon, the newest member of LIJ, 
and the team of Rapongi 3K. Rapongi Vice. Rapongi. Rapongi Lights. Rapongi Vice. The former Tempura Boys, Sho and Yo, with one of the original Rapongi Boys, of course, their director, Rocky Romero, who wears his uh, proton, his homemade proton pack to the <laughs> ring. And that's, so now that's two Ghostbusters references. Yay! <laughs> um, it's, this is Takagi's match the whole time. And maybe that's the purpose, is to, sh- uh, to show Takagi is the new ass kicker in LIJ. Because as we know, the time bomb, Takahashi's out. So we got to spotlight somebody besides Naito. Um, and right now it's damn sure looking like it's Takagi. Um, although, to me, I think Sonata's your guy. Like, in the end, that... I mean, if I were writing New Japan, it would have been Takahashi who eventually challenged Naito for control of LIJ. But uh, we don't know when to, uh, Takahashi's coming back. So to me... Sonata gets cooler and badasser every time I see him. And I think Sonata needs to be the breakout guy eventually to challenge um, Naito. But anyway, uh, in this match at least, it is Takagi who is, is showing his stuff. It's a short match. Really innovative moves out of Takagi. They're just, it's high impact slams. It's like, how many different ways can he, like, maneuver a body before slamming it hard into the ground um and uh so that was weird right like it was weird how much it was takagi's match well it's good i mean it's honestly good to have that spotlight especially at wrestle kingdom 13 oh for sure but um you know bushi just kind of looked like he was just there to hang out basically like he was managing takagi um because takagi just outshines everybody else that's in the ring and at ringside. But what happens is uh, he is able to bring gold back to Los Ingobernables de Japón as LIJ, Bushi, and Shingo Takagi do bring home the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Yay! Not the only time LIJ gets some gold this night, but let's not get ahead of ourselves, dear. It's all gold all the time on the line at Wrestle Kingdom. It's, it's every match is for some gold. In the next match, Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, the Rev Pro British heavyweight champion, takes on Zack Sabre Jr. with Takamichinoku in his corner. Zack Sabre Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii, the definition of physical opposites. Um... <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, could eat no fat. Tomohiro Ishii could eat no lean. <laughs> yes. And what, is, what is that, Jack Spratt? Is that correct? It is, it is. Okay. But uh, not, not instead of Jack Spratt, it's Zack Sabre. Oh, and Zack Spratt. Yeah, Zack Spratt, man, he is as lean as he's ever been. This is a skinny dude. And I remember the first couple times I saw Zack Sabre Jr., I felt that that look was much to his detriment. And I stand corrected here a few years later. It works. It's something very different about it. I mean, he doesn't look skinny like he's sick. He just looks skinny in that you don't expect him to come out and be like a real, you know, shit kicker. But he doesn't have to be. 
They're talking about innovative offense. There is something about the way this guy moves. Um, you know, I'll talk about it more in a minute, but like, uh, well, in hell, I'll talk about it right now. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very particular and clever offense where it doesn't appear like he is being necessarily physically dominant, but he's controlling someone. He almost looks like he's doing like, um, oh, what's it called? Like, uh, Tai Chi. Yeah. Yeah. Tai Chi. Like he's doing some weird Tai Chi, but he's manipulating points on his opponent. Like, I, I don't know. It's very bizarre and very martial arts uh, inspired, but it's slow. Like, like some kind of slow motion Steven Seagal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay. It, so what the result is when you watch Zack Sabre Jr. moving like that and you watch Tomohiro Ishii moving like, well, like a stone pit bull, I guess, moving like a, uh, like a Goomba. Moving like a Goomba from Super Mario Brothers, like you know, he's just he just marches forward, or you know, maybe like um, it, it's a good style battle, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It looks like a dojo fight, or like something out of Street Fighter Two. Um, I guess that like catch, like quote unquote catch, C A T C H, is the style that I, I should use to describe this kind of fight. You know, it's like uh, catch, catch wrestling. And that's what uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is doing. And he uses it to defeat Ishii. Not just to survive, not just to look good, to win the match and take the belt away from him. And this makes the third time that Zack Sabre Jr. has held the Rev Pro British Commonwealth title or British heavyweight title. And uh, he wins it, of course, with his double octopus uh, finisher. Not that he calls it that, of course. Uh, this is the one that he calls the uh, hurrah, another year. Surely this one will be better than the last. The inexorable march of progress will lead us all to happiness. <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr., uh, you get a tip of my cap if for only having a finisher with that ridiculous of a name. So yeah, big, like that's big. It's a huge win. For Sabre, in my opinion, because he's a British dude winning back a British title in Japan over a Japanese dude and over a Japanese dude who is an ass kicker. Right. So uh, good. Good for Sabre. But that's not all the Gaijin, not nearly all the Gaijin. This is a very Gaijin heavy card. Uh, next up, we have a three way tag team match for the IWGP tag team titles, not the junior heavyweight ones. The heavyweight ones. And your champions coming into the match are the Gorillas of Destiny. The new and the old. These are the OG Bullet Club guys here. With Tama Tonga and Tongaloa. Brothers, the sons of Haku. They come to the ring with Bad Luck Fale and Jado. Jado and Gato having recently joined the Bullet Club to help bolster its membership under its new leadership of... Switchblade, Jay White. <laughs> um, meanwhile, though, the Gorillas of Destiny are holding it down for Bullet Club. Uh, they're the champions. They're the IWGP Tag Team Champions in this three-way match, taking on Sonata and Evil, uh -huh. which I mentioned before, representing Los Ingobernables de Japón, as well as Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. 
And um, Matt and Nick Jackson, you know, I I don't I don't want to say this. I don't want to say that the elite had boo boo face all night. But what do you think? Did they have boo boo face? Some boo boo face. Some boo boo face. A little, bit, a little bit of boo boo face. And I don't think it was like. I, I I honestly don't think I don't know these guys. I don't know them personally. I think they're smarter and they care more than for this to have been some deliberate boo-boo face. But maybe some inadvertent boo-boo face. Could what do you been, think? Could have been some stuff going on backstage. Could have been some harsh words or bad blood because this was their, their exit from New Japan. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, only those who know know, Darren, and I, I can say that. I do not know. I know. I, I just think that um, the Young Bucks are always one of the highlights of Wrestle Kingdom. Right. Period. Them being there is huge. And they are, and they just sort of, they were wallflowers for this show. You know, they, they, they absolutely were, were wallflowers. I don't know any other way to say it. On this show, the biggest night of the year for New Japan, one of the biggest tag teams in New Japan in the last decade, one of the biggest tag teams in the world, and they just kind of showed up. And went through the motions? Well, I mean, they were wallflowers. Uh, the same black line that's drawn on you is drawn on me, Darren. And that's and drawn, then it's drawn to you? Drawn, yeah, 6th Avenue Heartbreak. Now, that's the wallflowers, isn't it? Isn't that wallflowers? That is the wallflowers, but I'm going to say this. If you were going to make a wallflowers reference on a wrestling podcast, I would have much preferred, and I guess judges would have also accepted, one, two, three, Marlenas. <laughs> right? With with one headlight. Got to be, be something we can trust out here among us. <laughs> I like uh, one headlight. But uh, anyway, continue on. One headlight. That could also be like a Naito reference, maybe. There you go. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> or a Popeye reference. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick with Naito for the sake of the podcast. <laughs> or anybody with one eye for that matter. But um, <laughs> Jacob Dylan. Jacob Dylan was a big gold dust on Marlena fan. Um, clearly. No, I guess the Young Bucks, I, the problem is they're not the champions going into this match, and they're not the champions leaving this match, and they just get outshined by the Gorillas of Destiny. Gorillas of Destiny don't win the match either, so, spoiler alert, uh, LIJ wins. But um, the Gorillas of Destiny looking like, I don't know what they look like, like kind of Iron Man, kind of Tron, kind of uh, some sort of... Gundam? I don't know. I don't know anything about Gundam. But I, <laughs> with those helmets, like the, the helmets that uh, that Tamatanga and Tonga Loa were wearing, I don't know. This was a departure from Bullet Club type gear or, or Bullet Club slash uh, the Shield kind of gear, which normally the Gorillas of Destiny are wearing. Instead, they look like like superhero gear but it looked badass right typically those guys are kind of you seem it seems like they're too cool for that like maybe the guys that beat up the guys who dress up like that but uh, but on this particular night they are those guys dressed up like that well the match with all of this great talent and all of the 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 gold that all these guys have held uh and the uh, these are three very big high profile tag teams in the world of new japan pro wrestling 
Uh, LIJ does take it home the gold. Uh, Sonata wins the match after executing a moonsault onto Matt Jackson. And they were another thing they kept saying about Matt Jackson, they really kept stressing that his, like a back injury. And I don't know how much of that's legitimate uh, and how much of it is a story. Well, he's had a back injury for like a, all year, Darren. Like, well, I know. That's what I'm saying is I think it's true, but I think it's just being milked right now for really no good reason. Why not just, unless he's truly hurt, like, why not just let him wrestle at full capacity? Like, why does he have to work the injury? But it's like, it's like DDP's what? ribs always being taped up. Same thing. Oh, my God. For years. <laughs> They're taped up right now. But Sonata and Evil uh, do take home the IWGP Tag Team Championships. And good for them. Um, I, I, man, I tell you, when I first encountered the character of Evil several years ago, I thought... This is garbage. That guy looks like an idiot. And what's up with that name? It's just, his name is just Evil? Well, again, uh, uh, it's not like, oh, they wore me down. It's like, no, I came around to it. I really think that he, he's basically just a New Japan version of The Undertaker. Um, you know, and something probably is lost in the translation where he's like, yes, just being evil, just being the name Evil is good enough. Whereas we probably would want it to be a little more elaborate than that. Sure. Um, uh, works for him. Following that, we get uh, someone we talked about earlier in the show. Cody Rhodes is in action, uh, defending his IWGP US Championship uh, with Brandy Rhodes in tow. Uh, or more, I should say, Cody with Brandy Rhodes. She can actually use the last name Rhodes. Um, defending against Juice Robinson. I, I tell you what, man. Uh, CJ Parker had no idea. He would be in this position uh, a few years ago, but good for him. Juice Robinson, who looked, uh, at least at the start of his uh, New Japan career, like a bit of a clown, uh, has really begun to blossom into something that's kind of a big deal uh, over in the land of the rising sun. And uh, so good for him. Cody out there in his Jacksonville Jaguars gear, basically. Um, <laughs> everything was black teal and gold uh and even some jaguar print like some some spots some jungle cat spots and that cool skeleton with the crown logo that is, i guess is cody's american nightmare look uh that's pretty cool and uh yeah with his you know back to the bleach blonde hair we got cody looking just looking look, looking sharp all around and brandy beautiful as always at his side brandy gets thrown out of the match like thrown out of the building like get away from ringside get out of here um that, that was cool. kind of surprising yeah um, it kind of goes along with my boo-boo face bit it's like how about she take a bump or like slap juice robinson or like yeah, there's a reason for her to be kicked out is actually a yeah. better story than just no we think you might be up to something get out of here yeah it's kind of kind of again kind of strange maybe this was just us Maybe this has always been this way with, like, exiting wrestlers in New Japan, and we just hadn't really paid that close of attention. You know, like, they don't they don't want them showing out on their way out. They kind of want them to just bow out. Well, that's, I mean, it's our job. We get paid the big bucks to pay attention, Darren, so maybe we're just paying too much attention. Maybe we're too good at our jobs. I think, I think our hashtag Dear Listeners probably agree with that. They're all, they're all nodding their heads right now, aren't you, hashtag Dear Listeners? 
They are. I can hear them now, all in unison. So many heads shaking right now that I can hear it. Right now as we record this, and no one hears it until it actually comes out. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, despite the boo-boo face, uh, maybe a little uninspired, Cody's a little uninspired, he is still on. He's still a good wrestler. Uh, and Juice looks really good. Uh, in fact, Juice wins the match uh, in the end, takes the IWGP United States Championship away from Cody uh, by hitting his finisher, which he calls the Pulp Friction. Uh, hits it two times in a row. Uh, I, I think it's basically the unprettier. Right. Um, but Juice Robinson, good for you, man. Uh, IWGP United States Champion. You're going to be one of the few gaijin in the company uh, in the next few months, or at least over the next few months. I think New Japan Pro Wrestling is a good fit for Juice. Um, I think IWGP Gold looks good around his waist. And uh, I fully support people staying over there, staying in Japan, or working with Ring of Honor, now going to work for AEW. We need some alternatives. Instead of Vince just stockpiling for no reason. Like, Vince McMahon has become like the uh, prepper, like doomsday prepper. Of, <laughs> you know, he's, just, he's just hoarding wrestlers for when the end days come. He's got a fallout shelter just full of wrestlers. I, I just see Vince McMahon with, like, all these wrestling toys and just, like, hugging them and holding them so no one else can play with them. Yes. Well, I, and I'm picturing the fallout shelter where he's got them, like, in cans. Like, he's got a can of Sami Zayn. And he's got a can. He's got some can, some canned Kevin Owens, right? Or like he's like the collector um, from Marvel. Yeah, he just has all these wrestlers in like tubes for oh. his collection. Dude, 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 dude! I I don't even know how how am I not mentioning this? Um, I went to a WWE house show the other day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, one, it was a whole lot of fun. It was great. It was a good show. Um, uh, Mega Heel Dean Ambrose, without the limitations of uh, time, like TV time, like go out there and talk for four seconds till we go to commercial. Dean Ambrose let loose on a microphone as a heel is good. Oh, yeah? He was so good. Like, he was so mean to the crowd. And, like, he was so hateful to Seth Rollins. Uh, it was excellent. Like, it was, that ended up being the main event, and it was really great. But the thing that I was, that really struck me the most, a lot of stuff struck me, because, like, John Cena came out, and that was the biggest pop of the night by far. Um, and I, I was kind of, I kind of popped a little bit. I was kind of like, hey, look, it's John Cena. <laughs> um, the biggest surprise of the night kind of goes with my canned wrestlers on a shelf for Vince McMahon, the Doomsday Prepper. Was Rhino? Rhino came out with Heath Slater and wrestled. We saw him like kayfabe and not kayfabe retire. Right. He may like, work just there. And it, it may be a work. He lost a retirement match on TV. Right. To write him out of storylines. Then he came out on that same in front of that crowd that night off the air. And announced his actual retirement. And there he was. Like the one man band music started playing. And I was like oh here comes Heath Slater. And there's Rhino. And again <laughs> not just at his side. And not like in street clothes. Because Rhino lives in Tallahassee. And thought he'd come out for funsies. No in his gear. In the match 
wrestling. What? Wow. Anyway, that's all beside the point. It was a good show. It was a lot of fun. Um, I recommend you check out, you know, we talk a lot of shit about WWE sometimes, and sometimes it deserves it. When Raw they deserve SmackDown. it, yeah, we're, we're not a WWE bashing podcast. There's plenty of those out there, but we give them yeah, shit yeah. when they deserve it. Well, you know why? Because we're the only wrestling podcast only that calls wrestling it right down the middle. That calls it right down the middle, right, right, right. Okay, okay. But uh, it was a great house show. I had a lot of fun. But anyway... Um, and that was your road report I, from Darren Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Not next up at the uh, at the WWE House Show. Say, I don't think but this next happens. Up at, <laughs> <laughs> next, up at, next up at Wrestle Kingdom, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship is on the line, being defended by champion Kushida as he takes on Taiji Ishimori. Ishimori is the Bone Soldier Reborn. So, again, not having the opportunity to watch New Japan every week, I don't quite understand what the Bone Soldier is and why it was secret for so long. Now, of course, the Bone Soldier is referring to the skull on the Bullet Club shirt, the OG uh, Bullet Club shirt that we've seen from the very beginning that we still see and that is still probably the hottest selling shirt in wrestling, although it was probably AEW over the last couple of weeks if you went to pro wrestling tees. But the the skull on the Bullet Club shirt, that is the Bone Soldier? Well, there's been a masked wrestler known as the Bone Soldier who's sort of been with Bullet Club from time to time um, and then not there necessarily some other time. But anyway, Ishimori... I guess at some point recently or in the recent past, was revealed to be the man under the Bone Soldier mask. Well, he still comes out in the Bone Soldier gear, but then he takes the mask off, and he's called Bone Soldier Reborn. And apparently, and I don't know that much about Ishimori, but he was a very big star in pro wrestling Noah, one of the smaller Japanese wrestling promotions, although not that small. They had a deal with TNA and Impact for, for a long, long time. Um, I know pro wrestling Noah... Uh, has been home to a lot of people who went on to be very famous in New Japan. And that's where Ishimori is coming from. Kushida, meanwhile, comes out, as always, looking like Marty McFly, <laughs> with Doc Brown. And I think Doc Brown was uh, Ryusuke Taguchi. And I'm like, dude, come on, really? Like, <laughs> double duty with the, like, stupid gimmick? Like, come on. Um, but, yeah, they don't really make... An I don't understand why it's just, it's just Marty McFly and Doc Brown. And it's like, why don't you talk about it? Like, why isn't it mentioned? Is it a copyright thing? Are they afraid? I think that's just how they both dress, Darren. I don't think it's a Back to the Future thing at all. Oh. <laughs> so Rick and Morty, it's just like a, it's like a, a play on Doc and Marty, right? Isn't that? Isn't that no, that no, not at all. It's its own thing. <laughs> Ishimori and Kushida, let me say this. These guys look and feel like junior heavyweights. It feels like what it's supposed to be. I don't always get that feeling. For example, when I watch like uh, Buddy Murphy versus Drew Gulak, I don't think about the fact that those guys are cruiserweights. Like, that doesn't feel, doesn't have the feel of like, oh, these are the little guys. Right. I mean, sure, neither of those guys are the big show. 
neither of those guys are, you know, uh, the Barbarian or, or, you know, Hulk Hogan. But they don't feel little. Like, when I think of junior heavyweights, I always think back to, like, the first time that ever came into my realm of knowledge. Like, Brian Pillman versus Jushin Thunder Liger. Like, that felt like junior heavyweights. Sure. Or, like, when you used to see, like... um, like uh, six wrestle Eddie Guerrero for the cruiserweight belt, or Ciclope versus Dean Malenko, or it's like Takamichi Noku fighting anyone that they made him fight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's what Ishimori and Kushida feel like. They feel like junior heavyweights, um, and Ishimori takes the belt away from Kushida. So uh, Bullet Club. Despite all of its recent losses in terms of membership, uh, this is a big win for the new Bullet Club and for the new member, Taiji Ishimori. The new leader of the Bullet Club will have his opportunity in the very next match, the only match where there is no gold on the line. Uh, The only match on the entire show, other than the gauntlet match on the pre-show, where no championship gold is on the line, and the new Bullet Club leader, Jay White, accompanied to the ring by Gato. Who's Jay White? Will. Switchblade! (laughs) That's better. Yeah, Switchblade looking fit, looking firm, as the blue boy would say. Jay White in his all-white ring entrance gear looks Wrestle Kingdom Whites, Darren. Yeah, sharp as a tack, this dude looks. Sharp as head. a... Sharp as a... Switchblade? Sure, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Sharp as a, a switchblade. That's much better. Okay, good. And his jet black hair, which actually in the in the light, like, is green? I'm like, is that is that black or is that green? Um, <laughs> dude looks nice. And uh, with Gato, I guess just to extra rub it in, that Gato joined Bullet Club and left Chaos, left the side of Kazuchika Okada. And that is who White is facing on this night. Wrestle Kingdom 13, Jay White takes on Kazuchika Okada. And um, Okada fighting as a babyface from underneath? Woo! That is hot stuff. And I tell you what it is. Not only is it hot stuff for Okada, that pushes hard, hard that Jay White is the new era of New Japan. If Okada is trying to overcome the Switchblade, that's pushing the shit out of the Switchblade. Poor Okada. He just can't get away from feuds with uh, the leaders of the Bullet Club game. <laughs> Every time he gets away, they pull him right back in again. Well, I guess that's what happens when you lead the rival faction uh, of Chaos. But Kazuchika Okada back to trunks. Uh, not in the pants, in the trunks. Uh, of course, he's coming out in that beautiful multicolored robe. Um, one of the tallest, most statuesque Japanese wrestlers in a lot of years. This guy stands apart uh, from his generation of Japanese superstars. There's something extra special about Okada. Well, he's so tall. Um, he's so tall and he's so blonde. And, like, he's got a, despite being enormous, he's got kind of a James Dean feel. To him, like there's something kind of sweet, but uh, sweet, but uh, I don't know, something, something under the surface you don't really like. Like uh, he's a bad boy, but like you know, but he's a he's a rebel with a cause, though. He's a, he is, 
and that call will help. If I'm Kazuchika Okada, my cause is regaining the IWGP Heavyweight Championship with a quickness. Well, sure. Uh, and to me, that'll be... Uh, I not, Even not knowing what to expect from New Japan in 2019, if Okada ends up at any point during the year as the champion again, I'm going to go ahead and predict that's my biggest pop for New Japan of 2019, is an Okada uh, reclamation of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Um, but Okada looked better in this match. He looked more like himself. He looked more, um, he looked more himself. There's no other way to say it. He just looked comfortable in his own skin again. Uh, cause he, he's been, we really got knocked down a bunch of pegs by losing the title. Well, you can't and, be on top forever, Darren. Well, you can't, but uh, Okada is one of those that like, that I could really get behind for just an incredibly lengthy title reign. And so I kind I, I hate to see him without that belt, but not, not only does he not have the belt, he doesn't win this match. Switchblade! <laughs> Takes home the victory. And um, this was a hard match for me to, to, to pick a, a favorite. Um, Cause I really, cause Jay White has grown on me really fast. I've liked him from the moment he was Switchblade. I was on board, but before the Switchblade gimmick, I just and I know he was a young guy, uh, a young a young boy and a young lion. And I, when he was an ROH, I could just really have cared less. And then and even in New Japan's like Long Beach shows, I was like, eh, I guess he's kind of cool because he's from New Zealand. But I don't really care. We talked about this, though. I mean, a gimmick can work wonders for a wrestler. I mean, did you care Did you care about Mean Mark Callis before he became the Undertaker? Not at all. There you go. Switchblade is working for Jay White. Switchblade and is out was... Aleister Blacking Aleister Black, if you ask me. Like, it, it's kind of the same thing going on, um, and the, the New Japan just does it better. Next up is the penultimate match of the evening, which means the second most important belt in the company is on the line. Of course, we're talking about the IWGP Intercontinental title. The champion, Chris Jericho, taking on the leader of Los Ingobernables, De Japón, Tetsuya Naito, and this is a fun match. Of course, yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier in the show that Jericho can't quite go like he used to could, but he's still a good performer. Uh, he's still a good uh, personality. I, I wonder what Naito thinks of Jericho. Um, I, I know Naito made some comments about Jericho being a co-main eventer at last year's Wrestle Kingdom uh, when he when he fought uh, Kenny Omega because um, he was fighting uh, Okada, who was then IWGP Heavyweight Champion at the time, and he thought it was ridiculous that just because Jericho was who he was, he was quote-unquote sub-main eventing. Um, and I do, I do wonder if if there is some of that blowback from Naito, where like Jericho is everything that I said Jericho is, which is kind of like main event spotlight hogging, um, which I mean kind of is. But uh, that being said, it could all be part of his character, in which case that's totally working for Jericho, and you know Naito's hatred totally works for Naito, uh, and the two can, in the very least, pull off a very entertaining match. Oh, there is no doubt about that. And this is Naito's title. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, uh, I mean, well, well, it's the title that Naito loves to hate. Because, as we know, in the past, Naito has treated 
this particular championship with a great deal of scorn. Oh, I know. The belt itself. Um, you hurt the ones you love, Darren. You hurt the <laughs> ones you love. Um, Naito is, a, is himself capable of doing a lot more in a match. But um, Chris Jericho, I mean, is he 50 years old? I mean, you can only expect him to do so much, right? He just needs to not wear that face makeup ever. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what that's all about. It also looks like he did it in five seconds. Yeah, that, that, to me, that's the worst part. It's like, ah, I need a new image. All right, I'm done. Like, it'd be like, hold on, let me hold that marker. Okay, now I'm the new me. It's like, uh, it doesn't work. Yeah, there wasn't. It, it's it, it's either it's too much or it's not enough. He looks like he's playing the crow in a shitty The Crow <laughs> remake. Yeah, in like, in like in, in like the fourth or fifth The Crow movie. That that's what he looks like right now. Uh, um, that that being said, a lot of respect to Chris Chris Jericho. Uh, moving on. <laughs> a lot of respect to the fourth or fifth Crow movie as well. Um, <laughs> this, yeah, one of my favorite things uh, about Chris Jericho in New Japan um, is he knows his limitations, but those limitations are not what Vince McMahon wants. So he kind of, uh, if maybe he can't do quite as many wonderful uh, maneuvers in the ring, but he's also not hamstringed by uh, fears of what advertisers will say. And so he just like, how many times does he say, fuck you? <laughs> like, of course, you know, most of the, of the, of the viewing audience um, is Japanese, but still... Um, you know, he grabs the... That hurts uh, in any language, Darren. He grabs the camera from the cameraman and he focuses it on Naito and then sticks his hand in front of it, shooting Naito in the middle finger. And also, it's sort of like, does that translate in Japan? Or? Well, I remember when The Rock did that to Steve Austin uh, the first time. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, um, well, you know, different audience, different time. But uh, you and you yeah. that was twenty years ago. I swear to God, Darren. Uh, well, you know, it's just Chris Jericho in his prime. Remember or, when Jericho uh, picked up and body slammed Andre the Giant? Uh, well, you know, WrestleMania three was you know thirty five years ago. It's true. <laughs> well, it was twenty eight years ago, but oh my god, close. Now you're right. You're right about that. You got you got me there, Darren. But for the sake of the joke, my point is valid. Go ahead. Um, in the end, however, we kind of uh, knew that this was going to happen uh, even before we knew about the AEW news for Y2J. Simply did not believe that uh, Jericho was long for New Japan. I mean, how often was he going to go out of his uh, personal way or go out of his Fozzy tour way to keep flying to Japan? Um, I, would, I would hazard the guess that the answer now is zero um, because he drops the belt to Naito. Naito is the victor. Yay. He is your new IWGP Intercontinental Champion. And Jericho, as we would later find out, caught the, um, not the last train to Clarksville, but the first plane to Jacksonville uh, to announce his part in AEW. And so, you know, Jericho, this will be a really neat little asterisk in his career. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, somebody's looking back and seeing what Chris Jericho did. It's going to be, 
it's going to be pretty crazy. Yeah. Remember when Jericho was in New Japan for a year and wrestled three times? That was great. I'm just saying, for a guy that comes from the Heart Dungeon and wrestled in CMLL, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I know. He was, I he was know. in uh, WCW during the Monday Night Wars. He was in WWF during the Monday Night Wars. The first ever undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Beating Stone Cold Steve and Austin. The Rock in the same yeah. night. I know, I know. It wasn't a real fight, Darren, just so you know. <laughs> None of it's a real fight. Well, to me, to me that's, the, that's the funniest thing, though, is he likes to bring that out and mention that a lot. Like, I beat, I mean, he, it, that's like, that, that that's such a Bret Hart thing. Like, uh, well, I beat so-and-so, and I beat so-and-so. No, I beg to differ. And, and Jericho, when differ. Jericho says he beat Stone Cold and The Rock on the same night, it's like, yeah, that's cool. You were booked to beat Stone Cold and The Rock the same but, night. But that's, and, you know, and I could be wrong about this, but where I'm saying that you're wrong is... Part you're very right about is the way that Bret Hart talks about wrestling. But I believe that Jericho is just saying that to say, this is how hot of a commodity I was, is that they felt like they, they felt safe enough to book me over the two guys they knew were the hottest thing in the business. Oh, I agree. So for them, so for them to take that risk on Jericho, I think that's Jericho sort of, He's certainly not trying to put put himself over as somebody who could defeat those guys in a fight. Although he might, because I don't know what those guys fight like in real life. Right. Um, but all that's beside the point, because to me, yeah, if Bret Hart said that, you're right. Bret Hart would definitely be trying to tell you that he out-wrestled them. But no, I, I, I definitely feel Jericho is being fair by saying... I beat the... I'm doing air quotes here. I beat these guys, meaning... Somehow they gave me the, the ball to run with. Right. No, I, I agree with that. And I will say Jericho does one thing very well, which is blur the line. Whereas I don't know if he if he's playing the part of Chris Jericho when he kind of hypes himself up like that, or if he believes his own hype in real life. So uh, kudos to Jericho again. See, I've praised Jericho just as much as I've doubted Jericho on this podcast. Let the record show. But that does take us to. Our main event match, folks. It is for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship belt, belonging to the cleaner, the former leader of the Bullet Club, one Kenneth Omega, uh, also known as Kenny Omega, uh, as he takes on that young upstart. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's not young at all. Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace, Darren. The ace. The ace. That's what they call him. Boy, do they call him that. Like... Man, when he's standing on the middle rope and, and looking out and smiling at the crowd and pointing at them, and they're all and they all keep chanting, "The ace, the ace." They're all big very, tennis fans. They're all very big tennis fans. Um, what man? Can, the amount of money that Tanahashi must spend uh, at the salon getting that <laughs> hair. I mean, the day before. I mean, the day before Wrestle Kingdom. He looked like Farrah Fawcett in 1978. <laughs> like, it was all blonde and feathered, and, like, it just was beautiful. And the very next day, he has, like, all these weird little braids that, like, go up in the back and then, like, support a ponytail. And then he's got, like, bangs and, like, 
all the blonde is now like half red, and I'm like, dude, how old are you? Are you a are you a Jedi in the prequels? Uh, what's going on? Here? <laughs> are you a Bratz doll? <laughs> I think Hiroshi Tanahashi is a Bratz doll come to life. I think he's a Bratz doll come to life, indeed. Uh, Luckily for Tanahashi, though, he does have the ability uh, to back up the moniker The Ace. But uh, Kenny Omega, no shortage of ability there. Arguably the greatest wrestler going today. I I would totally back up that statement and agree with it. I would, yeah, I would back up that it's arguable. I don't know if Uh, I'm the one who's arguing that he's the best, but I'm certainly arguing he's one of the best okay fair enough uh, you're wrong a, i'm right but it's okay he's an excellent excellent performer he is i wouldn't say single-handedly but he is instrumental in new japan catching fire he is instrumental in indie wrestling getting a whole lot of new eyes and ears on it and he and, will be instrumental uh, when it comes to getting aew off the ground as well uh We'll we'll see. Oh, if if Kenny Omega is not part of the Rumble, I mean he can still be part of the Rumble contest we're having. But if he's not part of the Royal Rumble this year, then no, he, Kenny Omega is not in WWE. So I guess we'll know for sure in two weeks. Oh, what if? Oh, what if we got a double swerve, and he pulled like you know the one night only appearance, like he appeared in the Rumble. Like, he signed a one-night deal, he appears in the Rumble, and then he just goes to AEW. That'd be great. That'd be weird. That'd be really neat. Actually, that to me, that's the best-case scenario right there. And then see what AEW's like in a year or two years. Sure, come to WWE. Omega needs his WrestleMania moment, but I'm thinking, let's see him in AEW first. Go make that insane money you know Vince McMahon and Triple H are offering you right now, so you will not show up at AEW and, and go make that money, then go to AEW in a couple of years. They'll be around for at least three, according to <laughs> according to their contract with Jericho. Exactly. But uh, before we can see him anywhere else, we're seeing him on this night here in his one-winged angel get-up, literally coming to the ring with one giant wing on his back, um, uh, very steampunk-looking uh, metal arm, cool gloves that was pretty neat uh like eight bit um intro on the uh, on, on the screen on the monitors and i guess on the big screen in the in tokyo dome where you see an eight bit nintendo looking version of kenny omega approach the ring and tanahashi's in the ring um and that was really neat like uh omega has had some pretty cool entrances over the last two three years um, always really special and always super special when the young bucks who do accompany Omega to the ring, anytime that they start slapping the canvas to the, to the beat of Terminator the Terminator yeah, uh, yeah, theme, yeah. like that's very cool. You know, if there had not been any rumors whatsoever about Omega leaving for the very first thing I would say is that he wouldn't have lost. He, he'd still have the belt. The second thing is no one would have ever believed that he was going to lose it. But since everybody knew he was kind of had one foot out the door, everybody knew he would lose it. So it was really important for the two of them, uh, them being Omega and Tanahashi, to look like Omega could win. 
Right, no, and you, you mentioned the, the Wrestle Kingdom wasn't as, like, big or, uh, like, felt a little different this year. And I think that may have been kind of a dark cloud looming over Wrestle Kingdom was we know Cody's probably leaving, Young Buck's probably leaving, so we know they're all going to lose their matches. So, not a lot of surprise tonight, and if we didn't know about Kenny Omega, then we may have been very shocked that he dropped the belt. I know I would have been very shocked to drop the belt, but knowing what I knew, it was kind of like, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. But it yeah. does not hurt that this match was a barn burner. Oh, no. It is a very, it is a top shelf match. Tanahashi, Omega didn't look any better or any worse than he has in quite some time. He looked excellent, just like he always does. So the, the question was, how good will Tanahashi look standing across the ring, or when they're locked up, or performing some kind of whatever. Well, the answer to that was Tanahashi looked amazing. Whether he was coming off the top rope, uh, to the outside of the ring, to the inside of the ring, whether he was striking, whether he was stretching, uh, everything that we saw out of Tanahashi was more than impressive. And uh, I'll say this, he earned, he earned this title on this night. He's not the, the the Jack. He's not the 10. He's the ace, Darren. He's not the sure. 5 or the 4. Uh, so, no, he uh, he's always Is been a capable wrestler. No, he's not even that. He's actually the ace. What about the 2? No. Oh, he's the ace. He, he's not the Joker either. Yano's the Joker, uh, <laughs> clearly. But, you know, you take the Jokers out of the deck because they're worthless. There you go. I know I do. That was for you, Darren. That was for you. <laughs> no, it is a superb match, and it's as good as... I won't say any other Kenny Omega match, because those Okada Omega matches are something special for sure. Uh, but no, it is just a superb Darren. match, and very much worthy of being the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13. And uh, sadly, not, not a surprise that, uh, that <laughs> Tanahashi goes over, um, but... Yeah, it is what it is. It's a good match for Kenny Omega to to end his uh, IWGP reign on. Uh, short-lived, though. It's got to be one of the shorter IWGP uh, runs, which I'm not a fan of, but timing is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I'm not a fan of how short the reign will be looking back on it. Um, Especially all the trouble that Omega goes through to get it from Okada. It took, you know, three or four matches to finally beat Okada, and then he kind of just drops it. <laughs> so it's like yeah. no, I agree, and I again maybe that adds to that dark cloud that seemed to be looming. Maybe it adds to that boo boo face feeling. You know, maybe if we weren't actually seeing the boo boo face, maybe it just we were feeling it, right? Um, because yeah, for Omega to not, I guess it's the extra weirdness with him because his future is indefinite. Right. It's exciting, though. Very exciting. But there are some places I would not want him to go. Um, and he could have still done so much in New Japan. But, hey, spread your wings and fly. But he only has one wing, Darren. Oh, he's going to fly in a circle. <laughs> but uh, Takahashi certainly uh, has no problem flying in this match. There you go. Uh, and he is uh, able to fly several times uh, with some really big, devastating splashes onto Omega to win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And, 
uh, as they stressed all night, he had he now has the belt to put back in the gap that was in his ring jacket, which apparently the ring jacket has been made specifically for the belt to fit into it. And uh, so presumably we've just been looking at him looking like an asshole with a torn up, uh, <laughs> with a torn up ring entrance jacket. But uh, no, it was deliberate okay. and now it's fixed. Uh, well, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13 was a great show, uh, no matter what Darren might tell you. Uh, but no, it is very sad to see all the exits, the mass exodus. And that's some serious talent to lose. Uh, Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega uh, from the product. But uh, that's, that's, that's showbiz, folks. Sometimes people go to other, other places to get uh, employment. Uh, hopefully there's no hard feelings, though, between those gentlemen and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, there's plenty of great talent in New Japan, so they're going to be hurting, that's for sure. But, at the same time, they're still going to put on some great shows in the future. And, uh, we will watch them, and we will talk about them here on the whole Reffin show. The only wrestling podcast calls it right down the middle. Uh, did you enjoy Wrestle Kingdom? Huh? Are you going to enter the Royal Rumble contest? Let us know, folks. There's a lot of ways to let us know. Find us on Twitter. Refn Show Podcast, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. We would appreciate that. If you want to send us a Gmail, especially if you're entering the Royal Rumble Contest, you should. Send us a Gmail, Show at gmail.com, T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com, or... Or you can always find us on the trusty Instagram, the whole Refn Show, T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E. R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. Come find our pretty pictures and like them and comment on them and share it. We need more followers. We want to break a 1,000 right away. We're so close. But uh, I guess to irritate enough people to drop out at the same rate as they're joining. <laughs> so tell a friend. Hey, tell man, a friend. Sex bots count, okay? Hacker sex bots account, they, they, they count. And that's it for us here in episode 113 of the whole Ref and Show. Uh, until next week, folks, I'm going to be Perry Smith. And I'm the incredible badass that it is Darren Beasley. And we're going to see you next week for 114. Until then, folks, you take care of yourselves. So long. Bye-bye.